Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. another beer ladies podcast i am lisa i am your host this week and i am joined by tandy and christina say hello ladies hello hello hey and we are very excited because this is our very first sponsored episode so we would like to give a big shout out to McHugh's off license and McHugh's online we'll be hearing a little bit more about them later but they were nice enough to send us some lovely lovely beers so when we hear the what are you drinking that we're about to do These are all going to be from McHugh's. We're really excited. We're really grateful we sent them around. But before we do that, we do want to say thank you so much for continuing to like, subscribe, rate, and share. We are at Beer Ladies Pod on most places, at Beer Ladies Podcast on others. I think a lot of you know the drill by now. But again, we really appreciate you continuing to like, subscribe, do all of the things. It really, really, really does help. And now before we dive into the episode content, again, we want to say yay. Thanks again, McHugh's. And what are you drinking, ladies? So, Tandy, let's start with you. All righty. Well, McHugh sent us a a bunch of autumnal beers. So, you know, something really for the season. And the one I've chosen for today is a Mars Brow. Well, that's the brewery. It's called ETA. It's a Dunkles. We love Dunkles. Don't we just? Mm-hmm. So I've not even had one sip yet. So I'm just going to have a sneaky sip and I'll tell you how it is. But I'm very excited. It's a lovely color. Mm. Oh, guys. We love Dunkles. Oh, my goodness. And it really is the season for them. Delicious. Absolutely. Wonderful. And Christina, how about yourself? Um, So, yes, from McHugh's, I'm drinking a Scotch Ale um, by Oscar Blues. It's Old Chub is the name. And I think it was originally out in 2015. So this is a beer that's been around quite a bit. I'm really enjoying this. I'm just getting flashbacks because one of the first beers that we brewed with the Ladies Craft Beer Society of Ireland was a was, was an 80 Scottish shilling. I believe Ooh. it was an 80 Scottish shilling. Um, and this is this is meant to be a Scottish strong ale. So it's like coming in at like 8%. And it is really, really, really nice. And it is kind of perfect for the season, as like Tandy said. Like it's a really like, it's a nice, like a bit of a cold fall day with the leaves coming down kind of a beer. So I'm really enjoying this. Wonderful. And yeah, just coincidentally, Oscar Blues is one of those American breweries that I happen to live in the couple of places that they didn't distribute to. So I've never really had a chance to try them before. So looking forward to trying that myself too. Uh, you know, ironically, I have to move to Ireland for it, but 
here we are. So all good. <laughs> and I have the uh, West Kerry Brewery, which uh, always a fan of their stuff. And sometimes it can be a little difficult to find, at least in Dublin. But I have the Carrick Dube, which I hope I have said reasonably correctly, but it is their handcrafted traditional porter. Uh, it is absolutely delightful. And, and again, very autumnal. Uh, porter is very much kind of the, the beer of kind of the Halloween season for me too. Uh, just because again, living in Pennsylvania, there was a lovely hoppy porter that we used to get every year from Trogues uh, called Dead Reckoning. So this is not a hoppy porter. This is very much, you know, straight arrow traditional porter and absolutely glorious. So thank you again to the lovely lads at McHugh's and we'll be hearing more from them later. But again, we're talking autumnal. We're talking some of those dark nights. We're talking about, again, it's part of spooky season. And we were all saying before we started recording, we feel like this episode is haunted. We've had things go missing. We've had weird things just, you know, not quite work out. But, you know, here we all are. So this is really part two of our haunted pubs and breweries. But this time we are focusing entirely on the island of Ireland. So we're going to start off with Dublin talk about some of our local uh, or, or local to us uh, haunted pubs and uh, pub adjacent maybe uh, buildings. But just to sort of kick things off, I, I think, Christina, you had a couple of good ones and I've got some funny little ones. But yeah, if anyone want to share some of the just the weird stuff that happened as we began recording, we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually quite prepared for this. I've got my Ghostbusters t-shirt on, so I'm <laughs> nice. wonderful, sort of ready to go. So I guess to kind of kick off, like talking about how haunted this episode is. So I was actually able to go home for the first time in two years. Thank you, COVID. Um, and my mom had gotten me this 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 lovely picture book called uh, The Parting Glass, A Toast to the Traditional Pubs of Ireland. And it features a couple of the haunted pubs we're going to talk about, namely um, The Brazen Head and The Grave Diggers. Now, the reason why I think this book is haunted <laughs> is because every time I go to find the, the mentions of these pubs in the book, I can't find them. But I have found them before, so I know they're in here and they're listed in here. And yet, for some reason now... It escapes me. So I'm convinced that the book is haunted. <laughs> Fair enough. And I was saying just as we got started, my, my Apple Watch told me I had burned exactly 666 calories so far today. So again, we're, we're on the dark side, folks. So we're, uh, we've got some dark beers to go with it. All good. But I guess, Tandy, you know, you and I are both relatively more recent transplants to, to Dublin. What kind mm. of stories have you heard about Dublin, uh, haunted Dublin pubs? I, I know I've got a couple, but I'm curious, which ones, which ones do they tell us kind of newcomers? I wonder. You, you know, the, when, when I was looking around for this, it you, you find lots of articles which which tell a lot of different tales and stories. Um, the, the ones that, that really stood out were the Brazen Head and Gravediggers. So if we're talking Dublin pubs, what, what I seem to, what, what seems to be the case anyway, at least with the brazen head, is that there was a, a person who was part of the rebellion um, and was hung there at around 1803. Um, and, and it's said that his headless ghost haunts the brazen head and has been sitting in the corner watching, watching the door for enemies, um, which is um, a delightful um, idea. <laughs> if, if you were, if you were a skeptic, um, you know, it might it might be a reason to avoid the Brazen Head, but every every tourist who ever comes to Dublin is told to go to the Brazen Head because it is a True. beautiful old pub. Um, and actually, if there was ever going to be a pub that was haunted, I would think it would be the Brazen Head. <laughs> it's um, it's weird. It's got lots of nooks and crannies and lots of spaces. So if there was ever going to be a place, gosh, maybe I'll haunt maybe I'll haunt it one day when I'm dead. <laughs> because if 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 there isn't a a good ghost sighting, well, we can change that in 
the many years until I die, hopefully. But <laughs> that was supposed to be um, Robert Emmett, um, who was an Irish patriot and used the yep. pub to uh, to plan some rebellion in 1798. So yes. how's that? I'm always a little suspicious when you have a celebrity ghost, uh, just because, <laughs> you know, it, it's not your sort of standard and we'll get a little bit more into this a little bit. It's not your sort of sort of standard, you know, man in tweed or knocking or, you know, playing with doorknobs, that kind of a thing. It's, it's, uh, it's, how do you know it's him? Is it, you know, he doesn't have the head. So yes, that could be him, but he's probably not the only headless guy wandering around. So I don't know, Kristen, you look like you want to say lies. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to put the the brazen head in a bit of context because um, people talk about it being sort of this really, really old pub um, and they date it probably way, way earlier than it actually was in existence. Um, so as the, you know, as the historian and we can't help herself, so she's just going to provide a little bit of context, um, which which will actually probably tell you that it probably is haunted by any number of things besides yeah. Robert Emmett. Um so so we have excavations at Bridge Street Lower, which is where the Brazen Head is on from. Um, and these excavations were in like 1989. Um, so we do have some data from this, this place, this, this where the Brazen Head is now. So there by the 14th century, there were some houses along Lower Bridge Street, um, and it was now within the city walls. It wasn't the case um, earlier on, and it was named after, you know, having a bridge, very, you know, kind of obvious. But our first reference to to a pub or an inn um, called the Brazen Head is in 1613. So in 1613, there was a fine given to Richard Egan and his wife on, quote, one massage and garden called the Brazen Head in Bridge Street in the city of Dublin. And so Timothy Dawson has argued that it likely existed before this, and he approximated the date to somewhere in the 16th century. So the 1500s, possibly the earliest um, reference to a place called the Brazen Head. But the excavations on Bridge Street in general do reveal evidence of an inn. We do see sort of pictures and things that we could possibly, that date earlier even, um, 13th century pottery, these sorts of things that possibly tell us that there was an inn on premises earlier. But an inn, not a pub. They're very different. Um, well, what's not the difference, Christina? An inn is some place where you can stay. Mm. You can you ha- can have food and drink. A pub is much later, so I mean, an alehouse would kind of be more likely to be kind of in the same when we're talking about um, these really early inns. We're more talking about like alehouses and taverns. Um, and an alehouse is is could literally be someone's house. It could be that you know Bridget down the street was brewing today, and hey, come over and have some some ale. Um, it could be something a little bit more permanent, depending on where it is in the city. Um, taverns, in particular, probably served wine, also possibly ale, but definitely wine, possibly more of an emphasis on wine. Um, and this is really context specific and these sorts of things, but there is some evidence on Bridge Street. Now, this is Bridge Street in general, not necessarily at the spot where the Brazen Head was, that there was some kind of an inn possibly based on um, the pottery deposits and things, and that this could date somewhat back um, to 
to the existence of the brazen head. But again, this isn't necessarily the brazen head. It's not necessarily, you know, associated. It could be some someplace else because of course, you know, lots of things to do in a 200 year span. But the moral of this story for our topic of ghosts and haunted places is that this, this, this street in general and indeed Temple Bar and all of those surrounding vicinities are quite old. And so there's probably quite a few spooky spirits wandering about, maybe a bit lost, maybe popping in for an ale or two, um, just used to, to that place. Because of course, Bridge Street um, or had the inns. And then we have Wine Tavern Street, which of course famously had, was famous for its taverns. And so places where people could drink and we're probably still wandering around now trying to find that drink that they've, that they've been <laughs> dying for, for eternity, so to speak. Um, so yeah, probably haunted. I'm not sure if it's Robert Emmett or not, because as Lisa said, if he doesn't have a head, how are we entirely sure that it's Robert? Unless he's telling us that it's Robert, which could be the case, but definitely some people wandering about. Absolutely. I, now, I always like it when headless ghosts have the courtesy to be carrying their head in the crook of their arm. I think that's, thank you, everyone. So that's, you know, it's just courtesy, you know, just think about that. But another story I found, um, and I think a pub we have better evidence of the dating for is Mulligan's of Poolbeg Street, uh, founded in 1782. And I think, again, I think we have a license in all of the, all of the things we should have. Although, again, could be wrong about that. But what I like is they have what's a kind of proper... I will say modern ghost story uh, where they've heard the bangings. They've, they've had, you know, sort of cold spots, all of those things. They don't go into orbs, which is good because I have a problem with orbs. I'm like, you didn't have them before people had camera phones, people. It's, it's <laughs> not a thing. Stop. But uh, what you do get them a little bit before when they're digital cameras, but again, not a thing before. So I, I don't want to see your orbs not here for that, but they have a good kind of apparition story of going into the cellar. And of course, the cellar is a liminal space and it probably is older than the rest of the pub may well have had other, you know, may have been the foundation for another building, all kinds of good, creepy stuff like that. It's already colder. You may get some infrasound, all of the spooky things. But there's a quotation from the book uh, about uh, Mulligan's uh, where uh, the barman in question had gone down. He said, I felt something. I felt kind of something was watching me. So I turned around. And I looked down and there was a man sitting on a keg at the end of the cellar. He wasn't even looking at me. He was looking straight ahead as if minding his own business. I just felt cold. And of course, he's like, nope, nope, out of the cellar. And, you know, goes back and there's nobody there. But I, again, I love that kind of there's just a guy in a room that's meant to be empty. So, you know, uh, it doesn't say whether he was wearing, you know, equally modern dress. If this was, you know, some dude who just crept into the cellar or again, seems like he just disappeared. But uh I do like a, you know, that kind of thing where there's just suddenly someone where they shouldn't be. So mm. definitely my kind of, uh, my kind of ghost story, but uh, yeah. also a little bit nicer too, if they're kind of moving pint glasses around and all of that uh, good stuff. But, but I think uh, too, maybe, maybe a good segue to get into talking about the grave diggers because we all love the grave diggers. It is a wonderful, wonderful pub and has every right to be haunted. So I think again, probably Christina, tell the folks why. Well, yeah, Gravediggers is one of my favorite pubs in Dublin and actually in Ireland and just full stop. Um, the Guinness is amazing and just the staff is wonderful. I just love the Gravediggers. Full stop before we get into it. So the Gravediggers, of course, is, as the name might suggest, right next to, and I mean literally right next to, the Glasnevin Cemetery or Prospect Cemetery. Um, like right on top of, if you're not familiar with Dublin, like literally built in, <laughs> basically built into the walls. Yeah. Um, 
it's so called the grave diggers because of course the grave diggers from glass and Evan would come there for a pint um, and many legends abound about that but of course you know being right next to a cemetery with you know over a million souls of course some of those might have decided to pop over for a pint on their internal journey um, thereafter so there's quite there's some really interesting stories about possible people who might haunt this place and one of them is as Lisa said just an ordinary guy in tweed who hangs out has a pint and then just simply disappears so just that kind of, uh, just kind of a lovely heartwarming kind of ghost who just kind of hangs out, enjoys the atmosphere, has his pint, and then just pops off. Um, and then there's actually also, I, I think I read about um, some sightings of an Edwardian woman in white. And so I was going to say to Lisa to throw this back to you because the uh, the the concept or the, the the legends around the women in white are quite prevalent and, and you know, across folklore. And I wondered Absolutely. if you knew a little bit more about... Um, the women in white and and where that kind of comes from. Yeah, it's bits and pieces. You also have gray ladies. They tend to be more in Germany, although you find some in England too. You also get the odd green lady. Now they tend to be much more associated with what looks more like fairy folklore now, because green, of course, the fairy color. So, you know, there's, there's just that sort of direct connection. But yeah, white ladies are interesting because they do tend to be associated not always, but often with a specific family. So she's often a family ghost. Um, so very different from, you know, an Irish folklore where you would have a banshee who's going to be like, you know, doing all the screaming before someone's death. Again, they are very much family spirits as well, but your white lady is more just kind of wandering around and her and her appearance may mean something or it may not. A lot of them are tend to be kind of the, um, the sort of anniversary ghost, if you like too. They will appear on the anniversary of either their death or some other significant event in the family. So again, there's still a lot of variation in that, but they do tend to be very sort of um, cyclical, if you like, when we're talking about your white ladies, gray ladies, they, they have a pattern and they stick to that. They don't just suddenly sort of rock up and start conversing with people or doing something outside their usual jam. They, they just kind of waft around in their own you know, sort of trajectory, but, but again, very, very interesting. And there's, there's a lot of really interesting work that people have done on them, but uh, they, they all kind of just do their own thing, but they do tend to be again, very tied to one family. So. Why, why are ghosts always ancient, you know, from the 1700s, 1500s, 1400s, etc. Why aren't we having a ghost that, you know, somebody that died 10 years ago and is just actually not over it? You know, and fair, sitting there fair. with their with their ghostly smartphone, wondering what on earth TikTok is. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that they definitely exist. I think perhaps our imagination is more captured by ghosts that are historical. But I absolutely think that you know, ghosts of anybody who kind of wants to stick around for a bit is, is around. It might also be like the nature of their deaths. Like some people might have had more traumatic deaths, which might have been more of a. It depends on the historic. Like it might be associated with a historical event, and so that's why they're kind of hanging around. Equally, we know that there are many still awful things happening now. So people could still be hanging around from that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I certainly think that there are absolutely, you know, modern spirits. And this actually, this reminds me, I think I read, I saw this on Reddit as someone was like, how come there aren't dinosaur ghosts? Right? Yeah. Oh, cool question. Yeah. Now there is meant to be a prehistoric ghost on Cranbourne Chase in England, where he is on his prehistoric horse. He is riding away. He looks roughly Bronze Age. Now, thank God an archaeologist saw him and could be like, Bronze Age. So, you know, that's, you know, you got to have the right person there at the right time. You certainly have Roman ghosts, you know, things like that. And, but, you know, 
there aren't enough Viking ghosts knocking around here. You'd think that someone would have come up with some by now. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting question, but when it comes to just kind of the, the structure of at least your, your, your fictional ghost stories, M.R. James, the great ghost story writer, was talking about how they had to be X amount of time in the past, but not so distant that it couldn't resonate. So, you know, he was writing a lot of them in, in the sort of uh, 19-teens, 1920s, he would set them in the Victorian period because for them, that was only, you know, sort of 30 years before. So it was still distant enough that people would have remembered that, would have lived through it, but would have had, you know, that sort of hazy, you know, kind of uh, bit of shimmery memory there as well. Although it, it's an interesting thing, and we could go off on a long tangent about this, about how ghosts uh, text people, uh, modern ghosts, uh, call people on their cell phones, pop up in Zoom calls. And there is a long history of ghosts and technology uh, just kind of where those where those two things intersect and whatever is the most current technology is always something that becomes kind of a um, almost kind of a, a sort of lightning rod, if you like. There are new stories about that. So even when the telephone was brand new, they'd be up calling people. So it's uh, it's a whole thing. I've got a great book on it, but well, probably have about six great books on it. But, you know, my bookshelves are sad and creaky. So <laughs> And just to say before we move on that um, as a, as a very lifelong horror fan, there's a really good book or book uh, film out there called Lake Mungo, which kind of explores the idea of like a, a current event ghost, someone who is very much haunting her own family. Um, And it's a really interesting, sad, somewhat scary story. So I highly recommend that. I think it's on shutter at the moment um, or Netflix and one of the two. How would you want to haunt your own family? Well, there might have been reasons. Okay, yes, that's true. There might have been reasons, but but if presumably if you didn't love them, then fine, haunt them and taunt them and do all the things. But gosh, that would be like the last thing I'd want to do is go and you know scare the living bejesus out of the people that I love. Absolutely. I'm going to do two quick, two more very quick Dublin ones before we, mm-hmm. we move on to other Irish uh, pub ghosts. So the Lord Edward is meant to be haunted mm-hmm. by Lord Edward Fitzgerald. Again, another 1798 rebellion um, uh, sort of uh, in- involvement there. But but again, is it related to that? Uh, you know, all, all of those good things. And again, right next door, the Bull and Castle is haunted by James Clarence Magnan, the poet and laudanum enthusiast, but he was born there. So it was, you know, his his family home. So he is meant to sort of, again, pop up and make things cold. I don't think people see him. It just gets cold and they're like, oh, he's at it again. So, mm. you know, uh, doing all that stuff. But yeah. And then maybe one more. I don't, you know, I don't know the specifics of any of the the ghostly stories, but there was a pub that that struck me, and that was Darky Kelly's. Have you guys oh, heard yes. of, of that one? Yeah. Right. So it's it's close close to a Christchurch Christchurch Cathedral, Jeepers. And um, what was interesting to me about it, anyway, was that it was the 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 site where they found a whole bunch of bodies. So it was thought to be, um, let's say. Uh, run by a known madam. Her name is Dorcas. Dark, her nickname was Darkie Kelly, who owned a brothel on the street. And it's thought that she was one of the first um, serial killers in Ireland, thanks to five bodies that were found under the floorboards. So, if there was going to be a haunted place, that would be that would be a good place, wouldn't it? See, that's one for me. That's that's um, Carolyn, um, who does the podcast with us. Carolyn and I did a dark history tour of Dublin, and they talked about her. Um, and the, the the pub uh, on the tour. And then I came home and I tried to Google and find information about it. And it seems to be really 
couched in a lot of myth and folklore and what's actually true because the first mention I think of her because she was according to the to the lore burnt at the stake for for being this serial killer but then the first mention of that is quite long after her death and you might correct me on this Lisa if you know a bit more about it but it seemed to be one of those things that is it true I I, yeah. I I wasn't convinced that it was. It it seems to me that the first reference was oh, I, and I'm I'm really really pulling this out of nowhere mm-hmm. because I this has been a while since two years, maybe or longer, a uh, hundred years or some <laughs> quite far after her death. And so some modern historians are kind of like, well, mm, we don't know if that's necessarily a thing or if that was true, or if this is just meant to bring whatever onto the pub that is or just someone made it up because they it mean historical people much like people do now fake news and they just make (laughs) things up um, because it suits them to do so so or they heard a story heard a story heard a story and think it's fact but it's just someone kind of you know messing with them or you know something like that completely you know full of nonsense so I'm not convinced that this was actually a thing what do you say Lisa I I think we have Definitely the, the burning thing did not happen. No, just did not happen. First of all, that was just not a big thing in Ireland, a couple of exceptions, no. but no. nothing like the rest of Europe. And I think you would have seen that, especially because I think she was meant to have lived in the 17th century or very early 18th, somewhere in yeah. there. So again, we would have heard about that. There would be records, there'd have been even newspapers, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. But I think it's entirely possible that she was a madam and very successful and some people didn't like that maybe yes maybe she was getting uh, you know, kind of above her station or uh, that kind of thing because I think there are other rumors then about either abandoned babies or you know all these different stories that don't quite hang together but all kind of fit in that context but um, yeah and then there's the whole serial killer angle where it's it's like, wait, we've had all these different terms that just kind of associate with, with one person. But it sounds like, you know, maybe she was a very successful businesswoman for her time. You know, it'd be interesting to find out more about the real, you know, the real her. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if, if if someone's haunting the pub, all uh, all well and good. Yeah, so. it could have it could have been a post, you know, post-mortem character assassination. Like it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. She could have just did her thing. And then, you know, years later, they were like, oh, you know, brothels bad. So we're going to write all this bad stuff. You know, it's it's again, it's really hard because, you know, we're missing some records because of, because of things and things, but I'm, I'm, I'm with Lisa. I'm just not convinced. Yeah. Mm. Although I think just in the general area, there is also meant to be a tunnel from, I think from where the underdog is now over to Dublin castle. And there's meant to be shenanigans over there. But uh, (laughs) again, we don't, we don't know, but hopefully by the time you listen to this, maybe the underdog will be coming back open soon. Fingers crossed. We hope, but uh but we'll see. So I know we have to move on. We have other tales to tell outside of Dublin. But before we do that, we want to have a little pause. All right, we're having a real sponsor break. So we're going to take a little break here from the guys at McHugh's, listen to some stories about the refurb they've recently done, um, how they're really making sure that the beer gets to everyone in tip-top condition. It was fascinating to discuss with them. So we will take a break for a sponsor. And when we come back, more ghost stories from across Ireland. Everybody, we are super, super excited to introduce our very first sponsor on the Beer Ladies podcast. And today we are talking to Cahill from McHugh's, McHugh's off-license. And uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that McHugh's has gone through a recent revamp. And there's some exciting changes in the store on Malahide Road specifically that we want to draw your attention to, as well as a discount and a special deal um, for anybody going there before the end of October. Tell us, uh, tell them that we sent you. Let's uh, let's see how many we can get in there. So, Cahill, tell us about your store. Tell us about McHugh's, how it started, and why you've gone for a revamp now. Okay. Um, well, we're a second-generation family business, and uh, so my father would have started a business in 1956 in Drumcondra and then in Artane in 1962 and myself and my brother took over the business uh, in the 1990s and uh, we opened up two independent off licenses in 95 and 96. I guess we saw a trend in the market for more uh, a desire for more specialist products uh, across beer and wine and spirits. We opened our first independent store in Clabaric on the Clabaric Road and then a year later uh, we took over what was Kelly's uh, on the Malahide Road. We've been there since. So I suppose we've always tried to be at the cutting edge of the of the business always experimenting, always trying to put our best foot forward. And I suppose in the cycle of reinvesting in your business, uh, 2021 just fitted, it, you know, our, our layout was, had become a little bit maybe tired. Uh, our branding needed a bit of a shakeup. So uh, we made a big investment in 2021 to revamp the store and to uh, rebrand also. 
what are some of the changes that that you made to the store in terms of layout? And I mean, I think you've mentioned to us privately that there's um, bigger craft beer fridges. So it sounds like you've got loads and loads of stock. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have a huge amount of stock. I mean, it's you know, no matter how many fridges you put in, you you could never fit in the amount of craft beers that you'd like to fit in. Um, yeah. So look, we've got a we've got a, a seven door cooler for you know, for ciders and mainstream branded beers, etc. And then we'd have uh, five meters of open deck fridges for craft beers. We then would have quite a large ambient section as well for those beers mm-hmm. that you don't want to uh, refrigerate. We, we went from a two meter fridge, uh, a two meter and a one and a half meter. And now we've got two, two and a half meter uh, fridges. And like I say, they're open deck, which I, I think suits craft beers. It allows people just like wine, they, you know, craft beer shoppers like to pick up the can. They like to mm. read the back label. You know, there's often beautiful art on the front label. So, you know, open deck kind of facilitates that browsing. Yeah, yeah. so I see you've got over 100 different Belgian beers and 80 different German beers. So, I mean, for, for those who are looking for that kind of variety, definitely stop into McHugh's there. Yeah, absolutely. We, we look after you. And if you need a, a chat about the beers, there's always somebody on hand to, to chat because the customers love to engage about it, you know. Yeah. So now, can you tell us about the the in-store sale that you've got? So in your uh, store on Malahide Road, and it's going until the 31st. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, I suppose we completed our revamp, but we really want to kind of shout about it now, get people in through the door. You know, if there's people that maybe had been in with us previously and maybe have we've fallen off their radar or we want to shout out to the world if they haven't been to us before so one thing is we're you know putting out social media leaflets whatever to tell people about our revamp store uh but also to encourage people to come in through the door we're uh knocking prices down uh so there'll be a lot of great craft beer offers there'll be a lot of great wine offers spirits offers again special you know focusing on irish products um so i suppose watch this space watch out for social media Watch out if you're within a couple of kilometres of the store. Watch out for an old old school leaflet coming through your letterbox. Uh, Fantastic! It'll all be revealed. That's great. So let's let's tell our listeners then. So for those in Dublin and surrounds, I mean, the store is at 25E Malahide Road in Artane in Dublin 5. You can also find McHugh's online. So it's McHugh's um, online on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the website is McHugh's.ie. So for those who are not um, able to walk through the door, you can go and avail of all of the of the range online, which is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, like we revamped our store uh, during the year, uh, at the end of last year, we revamped our, our website. Uh, you know yourself that websites can become tired and they need reinvestment as much as anything. Yes. So if anybody up to a year ago was on our tired old website, please come and visit our beautiful new website. It's a great platform that uh, the guys are after creating for us. Wonderful. Well, that's it. So everybody in Dublin, go and flood the store, please, with all of your uh, with all of your craft beer requests, and go and chat to the lads and see what uh, see what deals you can you can get from them there at McHugh's. Thanks, Cahal. That was really great. And we are back from our break. And we will say, if anyone else is looking to sponsor us, we are more than happy to have a chat. We've got a rate card. All of those good things. We're very very professional. So do. Uh, do reach out and thanks again to McHugh's because we really appreciate the beer and we love working with you guys. It's really, really uh, nice to 
you know, have that closer relationship with other people in the local beer community. So we also want to talk about ghosts in pubs outside of Dublin. So there's, you know, Ireland may be a small country, but there's a lot of pubs and a lot of them are old. So we got ghosts. So ladies, what have you heard? Well, let me tell you about Keitelers. Now, I don't, I don't know the full story, and I know that Christine is going to bring a lot more history to this, but <laughs> I just thought it was really funny, okay, because I was, um, as one does, um, losing time and brain cells on TikTok today, and there is a creator on there who goes around, I, I want to say the world, but really Ireland, and talks about these interesting places that have got a interesting history. And I, it caught my attention because I didn't know um, – when he was talking about Keitler's the pub, I didn't know that it was supposed to be haunted. But when I was starting to read about different pubs and all the listicles in the world that you can find, it came up and I thought it was so neat. So it, it, it comes down to, it's a pub in Kilkenny. So that's, that's number one. It is seemingly ancient. So something like the 1200s, that's where it was um, established. And now, Christina, please fill me in. But it sounds like, this this lady got married four different times and every single time she kept building up her wealth. So she already had money to begin with. And then every time she married, her husband would her husband would die. She'd inherit. She'd grow and grow and grow in this wealth. By the time her fourth husband was looking really ill and sickly, people were starting to get a bit suspicious about this whole thing and started accusing her of witchcraft. At least that's how the story goes. So, after after a bunch of kind of um, uh, scandal, it seems like she escaped over to England, never to be heard of again. But her, um, was it her maid or it was somebody in her service, was hung at that very pub, according to the legend. So again, I don't know if it's true, but that's that's the story I heard and read about today. Um, Keitel is in Kilkenny, so that would be great to hear about. Okay, so the the real history, if we will, about um, Dame Alice and and her inn. So I'll I'll start with Alice because it's a really really interesting story, and it's sort of the first case of witchcraft and heresy, um, or heresy that ends in uh, in execution in Ireland. And there were no statutes in Ireland um, about witchcraft, so she had to be tried in an ecclesiastical court, of course, which Alice very greatly objected to. So Alice was quite a powerful woman. She was born in a powerful family and she married subsequently powerful men um, in Kilkenny within her context. Um, As a result of this and her accumulation of wealth, I won't go too much into detail. Uh, The Irish Spirits podcast actually did a really good episode in detail on um, Petronella and Alice. And so I highly recommend that, but I will just do a brief overview. Um, So This is in 1324, which is the Kilkenny witchcraft trials. So we're talking about this is when the trial sort of takes place. And the main sort of antagonist against her is uh, the Bishop of Ossery, Richard de la Dread. And uh, he was quite a controversial person in his own lifetime. He started a lot of fights with a lot of people, um, accused a lot of people of heresy and all sorts of things and ended up um, you know, creating some quite a few enemies from here and there. Um, one of which, of course, is Alice and her her son. So Alice, as Tandy said, did in fact marry four different men, um, three of which had died um, by the time that this sort of trial started, and one who was sick. Um, so their families did accuse her of sort of murdering their fathers or brothers or what what have you through sorcery and 
and heresy and consorting with demons. And so Richard Ledred, along with these people, brought charges against her. And again, I'm not going to go through the, the ins and outs of everything. Um, Alice, w- this wasn't the first time Alice had been charged with doing something kind of shady. Um, she she was not a stranger to being on the wrong side of the law, if we'll say that. But equally, there's not like a lot of evidence that she was murdering her husband's left, right, and center. We are talking about the 1300s, so it is quite possible to just die of illness or anything really um there's not really any evidence that she sort of aqua tafanaed her way through her <laughs> husband's and um if you're not familiar that's a reference to a poison that was used to to uh to kill husbands or abusive people in people's lives um so i do have sort of some of the charges and i'll talk in my notes so i kind of can talk about what she was charged with um Basically, <laughs> she was charged with denying the totality, um, with denying totally the faith of Christ and the church for a year or a month. Um, she apparently <laughs> um, gave demons sacrifices of animals, and then she scattered these out at a crossroads, specifically to a demon called Robert Artisan, um, who was apparently one of the poorer class of hell. So she's not even, you know, sacrificing to an upper echelon demon. She's just going whoever's around basically um so she 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 sought counsel and answers from demons as well apparently um she she you know had apparently meetings in cemeteries and all sorts of things um she used various parts of animals um including horrible worms herbs nails of dead men hair brains and clothes of unbaptized children which she boiled in the skull of a certain robber who had been beheaded on a fire made of oak sticks and she made potions and ointments and candles of the fat that was in that skull um it's just being thrifty though i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> and th- she's actually one of those people we talked about um the alewives and witches episode we talked yeah. about the idea of um people using potions on broomsticks and she's sort of accused of of um oiling up a stick to um travel here and there um what i think was the really interesting thing um is it said that she swept the streets of Kilkenny every night, raking filth to the sun's door whilst murmuring to the house of William by some, um, give all the wealth of Kilkenny town. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. So anyway, she was charged with these things. She fought them off and she kind of was able to escape the first time. And then the bishop was charged for doing things that he really shouldn't be doing. And then Alice is charged again. And this time successfully. And she is, um, she is awaiting trial. But when she's doing this, of course, remember that Alice is really, really wealthy. So Alice just, you know, absconds with herself, leaving sort of Petronella to die in her place. Um, unfortunately, Petronella, the, the whole sort of trial maybe had a bit of a turning point because Petronella, unfortunately, was tortured. And she ended up confessing that she was a witch and naming all of these other people in the trial, which was sort of kind of this really big turning point. But anyway, so Petronella de Meath has left. And some, this is quite controversial. Why did Petronella stay? Why didn't she escape with Alice? Um, someone has argued that it's possible because her daughter Basil, Basilla, um, went with Alice. And so she stayed to protect her daughter. So her daughter was able to escape. I'm not so sure that that seems satisfactory because, of course, she could have just escaped with her daughter. Who knows? Anyway, Petronella did stay. 
And so Petronella was flogged the streets of Kilkenny and burnt at the stake, um, which is just really horrible. And I think kind of talks about how, you know, poor people always and continue to bear the brunt of the accusations for the wealthy, because this, of course, was a was absolutely a trial and a and a. The whole point of this was to get Alice. And of course, they couldn't have Alice. So they executed Petronella, poor Petronella, who was innocent and certainly was not conducting, you know, all of these, all of these sorts of things that she's alleged to have done and was just, just sort of bore the brunt of, you know, these sort of battles between really wealthy people. And I think that is something that we still see now. And we've seen throughout history that the, you know, the poor pay for what the rich have done. And it's really, really sad. And so some people now say that it's the ghost of Petronella that haunts the inn. Now, if we're going to talk about the inn itself, it didn't exist as an inn in, in Alice's lifetime. So it was it was called um, Kittler's Hall in the in the time of her life. And we do have some archaeological evidence that it, of course, existed before Alice and 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 after and after that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't used as an inn. Um, according to like Irish archaeologists until post 1449. That's what I've read, um, but certainly wasn't an inn during her lifetime. It was just Kittler's Hall. That's a later development. Yeah. And as the inn kind of itself, it was ex- like really, really redone in the 1600s. So kind of what we're looking at today is really dating to, to, to really that point, although there are still some, some earlier features and that sort of thing, but it's, it's not quite what people make it out to be. Although I would certainly imagine that if Petronella is still hanging out, she probably is haunting there. Um, and and my heart just really goes out to Petronella. Yeah. I just feel really, really, of all the, one of, you know, I read a lot of historical stories and and her story and um, the story of Gormla, who was the wife of Brian Brew, both of them just really, really stick out to me about how they've been really maligned in their lifetimes and maligned later. And uh, it just really, my heart goes out to poor Petronella. I know. And mm. shout it again to Irish Spirits Podcast, who have a great episode on this. Uh, it's called Petronella's Garden. They make a cocktail in her honor, which is delicious. Uh, highly recommend. Uh, but, but again, I would say similar to the Brazen Head, it's that, that kind of, it, you know, I'll say oldie worldy pub if you go there and it, it you know has a lot of those nooks and crannies parts of it again are legitimately old and and then there are parts that are kind of like we're old and so it's it's a mixture of, of things which is fine you know parts of it can be pastiche and parts of it are again legitimately you know old and kind of damp and all of the all of the things you associate with the with that so definitely uh worth a visit if you're in Kilkenny but uh it's it, again it's definitely like there's a mix of things going on there and you're absolutely like petronilla is the one who we should remember and not all these other people who you know either had their say or kind of just yeah yeah i mean it's it's, there was a really interesting um art piece that was like it was about it was a feminist art piece about women who'd want to eat dinner with in one of the places that was for Petronella de Meath. And I think that's really wonderful. And I think we really need to do more as historians with bringing forth the stories of, you know, the people who who aren't kings and aren't queens and aren't like at the higher echelons because we lose these stories about poor Petronella de Meath and who really deserves to be remembered um, for the horrible things that happened to her and for for just, you know, being yeah, a person. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. So I know a bit of a downer there, but I'm sure we have some other stories from outside Dublin that are just kind of maybe fun hauntings or, you know, they don't even have to be fun. They can just be dark. They can be hauntings. But what, what do we got? Oh, I read one. Um, Yates found this pub to be haunted. And of course, you might be familiar with with Yeats and uh, his uh, writings. I think a lot of people are 
and his wife and her automatic writing. There's a whole there's a whole lot to unpack there. But. Yeah, so there there is a particular hotel that's meant to be haunted, and apparently Yates saw the hauntings himself, and he saw like groans and doors close and all of these other things. And the name is escaping me at the minute, so I will have to. Oh, is this is I, this Renville, Renville Hall? Yes. Renville House. That's yes. it. Yes, yes, yes. That's the one um, that's supposed to be. That's also supposed to be quite haunted. Um, that's in so Galway. That's really interesting. Yes. So you know, we're again, we're outside of we're outside of Dublin, and uh, you know, this just all makes me want to go on like a tour of all the haunted pubs in Ireland. But I think like that's just like living here, right, and going right. to a new pub every day because they're all probably haunted. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to Cork soon. And apparently there is some good CCTV footage of ghosts coming in and, you know, doing the, you know, the typical knocking pint glasses off, uh, off the bar, that kind of thing uh, at a pub uh, kind of right in the city center, uh, Coughlin's on Douglas Street. So maybe I'll have to go check that out because this, uh, let's see, what's a good word for it? this very floridly written article suggests that I will have a good time and maybe um, maybe see some ghosts in this old pub, which uh, it says um, has been a hostelry in one way or another since before the famine, includes rooms that were once a doctor's surgery and mortuary, tick, and at least uh, built close to or on the side of, so I like the, I like the non-specificity there, on the side of at least two medieval cemeteries um at what was nearby St. John's graveyard. So um oh not just pine glasses, but apparently gin goes flying. So like oh from the top from the top shelf too. So they're throwing around the expensive stuff. So <laughs> this ghost uh, apparently has some has some notions, I think people might say. So maybe I'll maybe I'll go check that out when I'm there. Well you would you would have thought by now that we would have realized that creating and building things on top of cemeteries is always just really a bad idea like i th- i thought that we kind of figured that out but apparently not um maybe just stop building things on top of cemeteries friends but then i think if you're around long enough everything is a cemetery i mean yep well yeah especially around here yeah you've only got so much space on this little island so you know. Uh, you know, inevitably, someone has probably died everywhere you go, which is kind of a depressing thought or liberating, I suppose. Or liberating. Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll begin to wrap up. But I think, you know, one of the things I think is like, one, why are there not more Viking ghosts? You know, someone maybe needs to do some investigation into that. Might also be interesting just to see if we have, uh, you know, some kind of Norman ghosts showing up as well. I feel like you don't even get Norman ghosts in England. And that seems weird. You should have you should have a bunch of them. It, it might be because as my friend said, my friend, um, Dr. Stephen Hewer, and he's going to, if he listens to this, he gets really angry when people call them the Normans in Ireland, because you know, by their own, by their own language, they were the English at that point in time. Yeah. So maybe it's because we're calling them Norman ghosts. Maybe. They don't show up. They want to be called English ghosts. Maybe. So maybe we need to talk about English ghosts. And yeah, in terms of Viking ghosts, like I live near Clontarf. I'm really surprised that I'm not seeing, you know, of course, with the Battle of Clontarf, more yeah. Viking ghosts just wandering back and forth, kind of lost and looking for for the battle of course it might be that they've all moved on by this point maybe um maybe yeah okay okay but the serious the really serious question is guys um if you were a ghost what kind of ghost would you be and how would you haunt your local pub? Mm, good question that's a good question because i think i think i'd be a friendly ghost okay like i'd be the kind of ghost that that pours pints for people um and mysteriously you know leaves them there for them to drink as opposed to causing havoc yeah Give give people a give people an extra round, you know why not? Oh, that's nice. I like that. 
I like that. Absolutely. I, I, I think I might dress in the wrong period just to throw people off because I'm presuming you have a wardrobe that you can just, you know, it's, it's like you're in the TARDIS and you can pick from whatever. So I feel like I might dress in something kind of 18th century just because I feel like that's very ghostly. And, you know, again, just throw people off and then you can be like, oh, no, you got it wrong. Like still have a smartphone somewhere just slightly visible. Just, you know keep people guessing but I, I like the idea of giving away free drinks although you know you want to make sure the publican is still making their money so i think you want to yes the balance has got to be made absolutely there. but maybe yeah. if you're giving away just enough that it brings the punters in i think that's a that's not a bad thing i don't know how about you i'm i'm with you lisa um one of my life goals is is in death to be someone's archaeological mm-hmm. thesis by making the most bizarre and strange grave <laughs> known to man and actually to get a group of people together to do it all over the world so somewhere somewhere down the line some archaeological phd is going to be like okay like 500 years ago across the world 25 people did this we don't know why and there really is no reason besides for the laugh um so if anyone's interested, Rituals. let me know. Um, I love it. Yeah. So basically, yeah, ritual. Um, so yeah, similar lines, Lisa. I'm totally down to be the ghost that wears like medieval costume, but then speaks like a very modern language with like modern like meme culture and slang and like <laughs> stuff like that and just confuses the heck out of everyone. Um, that sounds kind of lovely. I think those sort of ghostly encounters where everyone's just a little confused as to what happened, but no one's really kind of scared is really what I'm kind of going for as a as a as a specter absolutely absolutely see good we've got plans folks so just saying (laughs) you know keep an eye out so wonderful thank you ladies and thank you again to our friends at McHugh's we have really enjoyed these beers and we are so glad to be working with you guys so with that said again continue to like subscribe it really does make a difference we really do appreciate it and we will see you again next week thank you everybody Bye. bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.